So we've been on this journey over the last five weeks on being all in and taking this quest a whole new level. And so we've been trying to build upon this foundation what it means to be all in for Jesus. And I, even this morning, I have to recognize that there's temptations that come along the way that we have to run from. Maybe remember a few weeks back or a few months back when we were doing a message on what it means to be fit and how that we have to say no to temptations and that, man, that, you know, even I have to say no to Mike and Ike's. Well, someone gave me this today. Check out this out. <laughs> like, it's about major temptation. Like, seriously, but the good news is I think it might cancel out, like I've been thinking about it, like it can cancel out that it's Mike and Ike's. It says that it's made with real fruit juice. That probably, that probably cancels out the fact that they were horrible for me. <laughs> But today we're going to look at, once again, what it means to be all in. And you have to really want it. Like, you hear me say that, but it's true. Like, it has to be more than just stepping out, saying you're going to. And every single one of us have have been at this place in our lives when a change needs to take place. We have to really want it. Not just talk about it, not just put goals out there and say, I'm going to be this in six months. I'm going to be this in nine months. I'm going to be this in four months. And just write out, and some have these neatly crafted goals, and they have them all listed out. Look, here it is. This is what I'm going to be. Yet, if you don't do it and really want it, then you just keep talking about it. And you'll come right back here next year, sit in the same chair, and saying the same things and all these lofty things that you want to do. But if you really don't do it and apply it, then it won't happen. Like I hear this and you've heard this and we, we, we say things, I really want a marriage that is flourishing. Dear Jesus, that's what I want. I want a husband that's all in. I want a wife that's, I want a marriage that's flourishing. We say that. We say, I really want to be emotionally stable in my walk with God. I, I, I really want that. We say, I want to change the world. I want to be the person on the front lines. Like, put me out there, shoot me, kill me, I'll die for Jesus. I really want that. We say things like, I really want to be a godly parent. I really want to raise kids that chase after Jesus all of their lives. Or we'll say, I really want to be all in for Jesus. I really want to see my friends get saved. And I really want them to know Jesus. I want them. And... We say these things over and 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 over again. And we've got them so neatly crafted. We sound religious even. We post it on social media. I want this. We even say it about our, our health. I want to be physically fit. I want it. I want it. I want it. And we'll put a goal and we'll... Yet, every time I walk to a garage sale, you know what's out in front? Treadmills are for sale, and stair climbers, and, and buns of steel VHS tapes. Because we had this desire of thinking that we want it to change, and yet our stair climber and our treadmill now becomes a place where we put hangers. It works really good, too, doesn't it? Like, put our, our laundry that we've ironed. It's like, that's what that was made for. And so we have these... Christ followers who call themselves all in for Jesus, all over, like this is the year 2016. Yet what we have is apathy everywhere. Now hear me, I, we're going to look at a story today of, of someone who, who might be where you're at today. 
and you're hearing this. Right now you come up and say, yeah, but, but, Pastor Jim, you don't know my life. You don't know how difficult it is. You don't, you don't know what I go home to. You don't know what little time I have. But, just, yeah, but, Pastor Jim. Yet we'll never become the people that Christ wants us to be. Until we really, really, really want it. Where it goes from our heads to our hearts. Then, and only then, will we become who Christ intended us to become. I'm going to show you a story today, and you're going to say, wow, I've I've been there, I am there, or I don't want to go back there. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of John, John chapter 5. Hold your hand up if you need a Bible, John chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 1 to 15. Open up your mobile device or open up your Bible. And, and when you find that, stand with me. If you don't have a Bible, take one. This is a gift from Grace Community Church to you. But we're, we stand as we read God's word. Would you stand with me as we read John 5, verses 1 through 15? John 5, verses 1 to 15. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called the Seda. Look at this. Which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blame, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in his condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down in ahead of me. When Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up the mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, though, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. You may have a seat. So as you look at your life, and if we look at this man's life, we realize that he was in a condition of, 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 he was an invalid, and we're going to see, we saw already, at the end of this account, he's no longer an invalid, he's now healed, and he walks away. So I would say this concerning your life, maybe your apathy. It doesn't have to stay this way. Your marriage doesn't have to stay this way. Your business doesn't, your every relationship, they don't have to stay this way. You don't have to remain and come back here next year in 2017, sit in the same seats and amen and raise your hands in worship, yet you're no longer any healthier than you were right now. And some of you are at the same spot for the last 15 years, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally. Nothing has changed. Your wife has been praying her guts out that you would change. You have been praying for your kids and your kids aren't. Why? Because you have to want to change. And some of you have talked a good, good change, yet you refuse 
to put it into action. So here we have a man. Text tells us 38 years he has been an invalid. And right away we see that it was a long-standing condition. He was unable to care for himself. That's what an invalid is. It's someone who's unable to care for themselves. They have someone else that steps into their life and cares for them. So we know that somehow, day after day, maybe month after, maybe possibly year after year, somehow he got to this pool. Someone had to get him there. So this was his condition. And probably at this point, he thought he would never be healed. And I wonder how many times as I was reading this this week that he made his way to the pool only to be left out. Had it been one year, maybe the first year, this could be the year I I could be healed. Maybe it was two years, maybe after five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25, 35 years, he finally just gave up. I wonder if he had resigned to the fact that this was as good as my marriage. This is as good as my business. This is as good as my health. This is as good as my my business. This is as good as my walk will ever be. Did he ever think that this is how it was always going to be? So I read that. I ask these questions. Like, at what point after 38 years do you just resign to the fact it's never going to change? Do you ever feel that way every time? Like right now you walk in here and you think, man, I thought by now, my husband, and I've been praying for him. I haven't been nagging him. And he's at the same place. And he keeps saying, it's going to be different. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to be a better husband. And yet here he is again. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're feeling that way with your wife. Maybe it's, it's a child. Maybe it's a mom, a dad. Maybe, I don't know what it is, but you're at the same place and nothing is changing. Maybe you resigned to the fact that you believe that's as good as it's going to get. And, or maybe you got these, these excuses. I'm too old. I'm too overweight. I'm too whatever. And you just resigned to live way below your redeem. Oh, my body hurts too much or whatever it is. And your thinking never changes because it seems like this is your place in life. And so you just resign like this man is. And you sit by the pool day after day after day after day after day after day after year after year after year. Then you see someone who's further down the road than you. You remember a time when you both were on fire for Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm all in. I'm all, I'm all in. Let's just go take the world. And it's somewhere along this path, you believed a lie. You veered off and they stayed the course. And you look at their life and part of you is envious. And you're even a little angry because you chose to sit by the pool of complaint and excuse. So I asked the question like Jesus asked this man as it was sitting by the pool. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Like, so you look at this guy and you think, sure, Jesus, like, duh. If I didn't want to be well, if I didn't want to be healed, would I be sitting by the pool hoping that the waters would stir and I would be the next one? And certainly you would think Jesus wouldn't ask that question, would he? And this man probably witnessed hundreds of people get healed over the years. And it appears in some form or fashion that Jesus knew he threw in the towel of hope because Jesus asks what seems to be a really weird question. Do you want to be healed? 
Do you want to be well? I believe this is why Jesus asked the question. Look at verse 6. Here's why he asked the question. Look, 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 at, the, look at the man's response after Jesus asked him in verse 5. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in his condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Why would Jesus ask that? In verse 7 it says, sir, the end replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, Jesus, someone else goes down ahead of me. So Jesus asked him this question, do you really want to be healed? Why? Because he had spent a long time telling everyone how bad it was and how difficult it was him, and it wasn't his fault, and everyone else was getting the chance except for him. Do you see his response? His first answer, instead of saying, yes! It's his fault. No one lets me in the water. My boss is too mean. My mom is this. My dad is that. It's too hard. I'm too this. I'm too that. If they didn't have all this too much, I would be healed. And Jesus is saying, you don't want to be helped. And so we have the same thing. We have these excuses. Someone says, yeah, but you don't know how hard my life is. I worked really hard yesterday, but I want to be healthy. But I refuse to be healthy. And somehow, Jesus sees his heart and asks him the question, do you really want to get well? So he's been sitting by this pool. And best as we know, it could have been 10, 15, 25, 30 years. And his first response to Jesus is, it's their fault. Someone always races in and gets in there first. No one helps me. No one gets, they get me here, but they never shove me in the water. And so we do the same thing. I mean, think about your excuses. I mean, some of you don't even realize that as soon as you know there must be change, you just roll out the scroll, and some of us are sick of hearing it. And Jesus was too. Sick and tired of hearing it. You see, maybe it's not you sitting by a pool, but... It's you sitting by a platform called Grace Community Church or in a pew or even listen to a podcast and still you don't want to be healed. You could sit here every day and every, every week and you could come in every service. But at some point you got to say, I need to apply this to my life. You could be like these, these men who are so close to the healing, so close to being helped, yet they sit and soak and commiserate each other in their misery and they blame the world. And we do it too. Oh, the White House. Like, oh, I can't stand the world. It's horrible. Yet, I don't see anywhere in Scripture we're supposed to be looking to the White House for counsel. We're supposed to be looking to his house for help. I don't see anywhere in the world where we're supposed to be griping and complaining about the White House. The Word of God says to pray in his house for the White House. So I read this. I asked these questions that I was reading this this week. Would Jesus ask us the same question? Do we really want to get well? And so I asked this question. Are we really any different than the invalid in our responses 
ask yourself that question. Think about that area in your life that you can't seem to get over the hump. Do you respond with excuses when someone calls you out? Do this. I did that. I didn't have enough time. It's just this. It's that. When victory is an ounce away, a step away, a yard away, and all you have to do is want it. Have we just settled to believe that it could never be better than this? Like, I just picture these guys sitting by this pool, like, they're saying, this is as good as it gets. Or, as I was reading this, have we taken this response? How come everyone else seems to get what they need, but not me? So basically, here's what we do, if you're like this man. We say, it's not my fault, I'm the way I am. It's their fault. He didn't let me in the water. If he would have got me sooner, I would have been healed by now. If he would have just helped me. The list goes on, and we become a victim. And so all through Christianity are these apathetic victimized people who live way below what Christ has wanted and they're one step away from the pool of healing. You see, let me just say it this way. Grace, you don't need another book. You don't need another message. You don't need more group therapy. You don't need a mission trip. You don't need another chapter fight club. You don't need to go through another training camp. You don't need another conference. You don't need that special small group. You will never change your condition until you really want to. Why? Because many people who call themselves Christ followers are just like this invalid. They have a victim's mentality. So how do you know when you have a victim's mentality? How do you know when you're like this invalid? Well, here's some things that you might do. You might not even know it. And those of us who've been around you, we hear it all the time. Here's how it goes. Victim mentality, they endlessly repeat how others have mistreated them. Have you ever been around someone like that? They view the world as hostile and unfair to them somehow. They are searchers of misery who see each grievance as a treasure to add to their collection. Do you know how hard my life was? They have a hidden need to feel wrong. They live by the childish notion that life should always be fair to them. You know what fair is? Take a look at the cross. That's fair. They find it very difficult to forgive others because forgiveness is a sign of weakness. They have a competitive view of life in which others are always winning at their expense. And they say things like, if it wasn't for me, then my business, our business, my boss would never be successful. He never gives me credit. And they have difficulty maintaining close friendships. You know why? Because you drain the life out of people. They see themselves as permanent victims. Never, ever, ever overcoming Like, this is how I'll end my life. I'm 45 years old. It's just hard being 45. Well, be 54 and come back to me. (laughs) They are very hard people to love because they eventually turn on their close friends. You know what they do? They say, it's your fault. If you were a better friend, you would have never let me fall. You would have gotten me in that water yesterday. Yesterday. 
They tend to be pessimists, always anticipating the worst possible outcome in every situation. Their pessimism becomes a form of self-fulfilling prophecy. Have you ever been around people like that? Holy cow. I have to open up my one feeling of sympathy and use it. It drives me nuts. And you don't even know it. It's become such a pattern because you're sitting at the pool with all these people who commiserate in their misery. And that's all you talk about. And that's all they talk about. And so you walk out and you want people actually to come along. Yeah, I know. Isn't that horrible? Give me a hug. You know what you ought to do? Give them a boot in the butt. You don't like me right now, but that's the truth. You didn't give me any Mike and Ikes. <laughs> a victim's mentality, they destroy their closest relationships because they have difficulty in trusting people. It plays out in so many ways, it, it, even in the workplace like this. If they're late turning in a report at work, that's easy. They just say, I would have turned it in early, but Frank was late getting me the statistics. Blame, pass the buck. And then, they, and if they lose their job, it's because of the boss was unreasonable. He didn't understand them. He had it in for them. He hated them from the moment they walked into the office. It's called a victim's mentality. And Jesus is calling this victim out. And he looks at him and says, do you really want to be healed? <laughs> Listen, do you? Oh, yeah, Jesus, but it's his fault and their fault and everyone else's fault, fault, fault. So people who live out this way, they're not sure whose fault it is, but they know it can't be theirs. Have you ever met these people? So Jesus just wanted to know if he had lost and given up. Here's what we can learn from this dialogue today. We make more excuses than we like to admit. And it is possible. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. When you are in Christ, it is possible to break the pattern of excuse making. And healing will never take place unless you admit you have a problem. Some just love being miserable. And their mission is to make everyone else know that they're miserable. And so you end up like this man here. And so I was thinking about this week. Like, we're really good at it too. And so you know what we do? We pull out our poolside chairs. Man, we have our favorites too. Like, we love that place. Like, we're good at it. And the chair really fits our backside. Like, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah. And we come by and we commiserate, the world sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it does. And healing is one step away. Oh, I'd be better if it wasn't for my boss. I'd be better if my husband just stepped up to the plate. I'd be better if I didn't have this job, I had to work 12 hours. I'm too tired to exercise. 
blah, blah, blah. And so Jesus is calling him out. And so you know what we do? We, we meet each other for breakfasts and we go to the liars tables, wherever they're at. And we sit and we talk how horrible it is. Yeah, there used to be a day. And Jesus is looking at these guys by the poolside. He's looking at this invalid and he's asking, do you really want to get well? He called him out. So this man has spent his life by the poolside of misery. Listen to me. Some of you are the same way. You're so good at this. Oh, I'm all in this year, Pastor. I burnt my paper ship day one. Yeah, right now, you're coming up with an excuse. Yeah, but you don't know. I, I got to go tomorrow into this workplace, and I hate that boss. If he was a good boss, he'd throw me in the water. And you become a victim. So Jesus is saying the same thing to you right now. Do you really want to get well? I want to marry this Christ. And do you really want it? I want to be physically fit. Do you really want it? Yeah, but Jesus. Listen to me. Hear me out. This truth. Listen to me. This is for you. This truth could transform your life. But you got to want it. So I wondered as I read this passage this week and I look across my path at people who are like this man here. Why in the world would you want to remain here? You know why? Because we stop hoping because it's hard to hope. We do. We stop hoping that it could be better. We stop, we stop hoping because it's, it's hard to hope that it could be better somehow. It's hard to hope that I could be fit physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's hard. Like, it's hard to, to hope that somehow it could change. Probably because somewhere in this journey, it got easier to blame others and make excuses than it did to continue to hope. So explain that to me, Pastor Jim. Here, here, let, let me explain it to you. Why? Because it's easy to be negative and critical and pass blame and judgment, isn't it? Like, for instance, right now, how long would it take you right now? Like, if, if, if don't do it. How long would it take for you? Like, if, if you have someone near you, or you have a, a husband or wife, or you have a mom or dad, brother, sister, or boss right now, or, or, or a relative, I said, this is the person. Now, right now, I want you to say something critical about them. How long would it take you? That's not hard. It's not hard to be negative. It's not hard to say life sucks. It's not hard. It's not hard to, to find out a fault. It's like, it would take you zero, zero time to be negative. Like, you don't have to work at, like, when they sit down and say, what are we going to talk about this week? It's been, a, it, it's hard to talk about negative stuff, isn't it? No. You know what's hard to do? It's hard to go against the grain and believe when your marriage is falling apart. It's hard to understand and and, and have hope when you look at your financial bank statement. It's hard to believe that God can can do the impossible when you see your son leaving a house who's walking away from Jesus. It's hard when you, when you work 12 hours a day and you want to be physically fit and you're tired and you know you got to get up an hour early. It's it, it's hard to believe. It's hard to hope. So people don't. They just settle. Negative. Misery. So Jesus asked this man, do, 
as he's seated here, he asks him, I mean, just, just like, do you really want to be helped? Do you, I don't, do you really want to get well? I was talking with this, our staff this week, and I was talking to Pastor Jeremy. I mean, have you ever been around someone who's just naked? It just drives me nuts. Pastor Jeremy and I were talking this week, and he said, Jim, I used to think I was a really positive person until I met you. And so people, you, sometimes you look at me, oh, he's just a preacher. He gets paid to say, believe in Jesus. No, I just believe that the work on the cross by Jesus Christ was enough. And by his stripes, we've been healed. And my Bible tells me he's the God of the impossible. In Ephesians 3.20, it says he can do immeasurably more than I could ever think or imagine. So I choose to believe that. This invalid didn't. Believing what no one else does is hard. It's easy to sin, but it's challenging to trust in Jesus when it seems impossible. I also believe this breaks the heart of our God. When Jesus witnessed people sitting by the poolside in Goshen and LaGrange and Warsaw and Elkhart and Napanee, Topeka and New Paris. And he's asking the same question that he asked this invalid. Is this the way you want to live in 2016? And some of you have been living this way for 20, 30, 40 years. And you call yourself a Christ follower. So I think about Jesus' life. How hard was it for him? Was it challenging for him to live out his faith? You bet it was. Now think about this for a second. Jesus never felt the pleasure of sin like we do. He only felt the pain of it. He always said no. So I asked what made this man lose hope in Jesus as I read this this week. Maybe it was the people he sat with at the pool and never, they never got in either. And you heard me say a couple weeks ago, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And if you're sitting by the poolside with people who commiserate in their misery, guess what your future is? Misery. And Jesus is saying, get up, leave the pool, you are well. Maybe, just maybe, we all know them. And maybe, just maybe, when we think about these people, we, we, we realize that if you stay too long with these people, that, that when you finally move on and you get away, it's amazing the perspective that changes. You think, why did I spend my life there? These people sucked the life out of me. When I was in seminary, we, I took a, a lot of leadership classes and learned a lot from some godly men. I'll never forget one principle that has stuck with me throughout my whole ministry. It's been a challenging principle for me personally and for me as a pastor. We were sitting in this leadership class and, and this man who was a godly man, humble man, he said, he looked at all of us prospective pastors and he said something, he said, there's three kinds of people in the church that you'll go and serve in. I was thinking, wow, just three, that, that's good. And then he began to unpack these letters that for the first time I'd never heard it put it in this way. He said, there's VIPs, there's VTPs, and there's VDPs. 
And they preface all this, and I'll preface by saying all are as valuable in God's eyes. All of them get the same grace, same love. All, 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 there, there's not one that, that in God's eyes is better. And so he began to unpack. He said, he said, he looked at us and he said, a VIP. Like, he said, a very important person. I remember, I remember backing up for that. How can someone be more important? And he, he unpacked it. He said, not that God doesn't love them less or more. He said, but these are the people that you give them a nugget of truth and they just live it out. And, and, and then not only do they live it out, they don't commiserate by the pool. They, they, they just, they tell others, they're all in, they're serving. They understand that this life is temporary and that this is just a time to pass through and they're doing the best job that they can do in the local church. He said, now listen, those are the people that will help your church grow as, as, as a body of believers. They understand that they have a calling on their life. And then he said, there's this other group of people called VTPs. They're very teachable people. The, the, those are the people, your VIPs are teachable, but there's this group that just gets saved, and they're like sponges. They, they learn. They, they, they Like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And he says, there's a season that they grow. There's a season that they have to learn. He said, but at some point, that VTP people needs to stop soaking it in and start living it out. They just can't keep having head knowledge and, and, and that, 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 that their level of knowledge outweighs their level of obedience. They come to church and all they do is sit, sit, sit. Good message, good message. Good. After a while, if you've been soaking in, it's time to bump up and start serving. If you're not serving, then you're just taking information. Then he said this, there's another group called VDP people. They're very draining people. He says, so you, you speak to them, you love on them. You go to them, you give them the same that you gave the VIPs, VTPs. You tell them, this is what Jesus can do. This is what he's able to do. And you love them, you coax them, you give them extra grace. He said, but at some point, if they don't take it, I remember sitting there, wow, man, this is hard. He said, at some point, if they don't change, if they don't want it, listen to me. If you're not careful, he said, they will drain the life out of you and your ministry. And I remember taking this personal thing, I don't want to be that guy. I will never be that guy. I will never be a VTP. I don't want to ever be the guy that sits by the poolside and says, one of these days, one of these days I'll be healthy. One of these days, here's my list. One of these days, and sits and commiserates how his father, his mother, his kids, his boss, his life, his whatever, whatever it is, my coach. If it wasn't for that coach in sixth grade, I'd be a better person. And Jesus looks at this invalid and says, it's time. It's time. It's beyond time. Do you really want to get well? You see, we stop hoping because it hurts to hope. And there's a price tag for being well. What, what, what are you talking about? I mean, there's a price tag to pay for being well? You bet there is. Because sometimes it wears you out after you look at your sick child, your broken marriage, and you wake up the day after believing that it could be the day of breakthrough. It's hard getting on your knees when everyone else is asleep and praying to God for your husband, for your wife. It's hard to care for your kids. It's, it's hard to dig into his word. It's hard running and exercising. It's hard journaling. It's hard walking into a dark place and sharing Jesus Christ and maybe get criticized. It's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. 
it gets tiring. We stop hoping because it hurts to hope and there's a price to pay for getting well because some of you are so conditioned yourself to receiving help and sympathy with your post on social media. And as, and if you get well, you can't be a beggar anymore. You can't hold your sign up and say, help me, help me, help me, when all most have to do is want it bad enough and do something about it. You see, if you don't get well, then you won't get the special treatment. And so the enemy keeps you in bondage. And you don't even know it. So some of you have been saved for 38 years. And you're still coming up with the same excuses. Listen to me. It is time to change. What happens next is just incredible. I mean, look at John chapter 5. Look, 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 how he, look how the change takes place. Look, at Jesus asked him in verse 6, he says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to what? Get what? Sir, the invert replied, I have no one to help me in the pool and the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in. Someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, look at verse 8, get up, pick up your mat, and what? What's it say? Okay, now look at verse 9. This is critical because this is the game changer. What are the first two words in verse 9? At what? The man was what? Okay, look again. At once the man was what? He picked up his mat and walked. Let me ask you this question. When was he able to walk? When was he cured? It happened before he picked up his mat and walked. Listen, the healing had already taken place. And so Jesus is looking at him. He's saying, dude, you don't even have to get in the pool. Dude, you don't even have to do any magical form. You don't need to go to the priest. Dude, you're already cured. Just get up and walk in your victory. Now listen to me. Some of you are healed. Some of you are cured. Some of you have enough. All you gotta do is get up and leave the pool. Oh, man, I wish I could just, if it were possible, if I could get in your heart and just put that in there. The God of the universe lives in you, Mr. Invalid. Listen, you don't have to do any hocus pocus. The cured, the healing has already taken place, but you got to believe it. Get up. Get up and run. Get up and love on your wife. Get up and speak to your child. Get up. It happened before he even got up. So some of you say, yeah, not for me, Pastor Jim. I got up. I got up. Jesus didn't do anything for me. Well, maybe, just maybe, you got to get up every single day and believe. you got to get up week after week, month after month, instead of going back to the poolside in Goshen, in Elkhart, in LaGrange, in Middlebury, in New Paris, in Napanee. It's time to leave the pool and live like Jesus lives in you. Can I have like two amens? And you have to say goodbye to the old you. You see, healthy people don't make excuses. 
They just believe and act on their faith. You don't no longer have to blame anybody. Listen to me. I'm going to ask you to do something. It's time to quit talking about your mother. It's time to quit talking about a former coach. It's time to quit talking about your dad. It's time to quit blaming a boss. It's time to quit blaming a pastor. It's time to quit blaming, I got a bad experience at church. I'll never go back. It's time to leave the pool and be cured. You see, the difference between the invalid and the man that walked away was he wanted to be healed. The healing had already taken place. And it has for you too, but you don't leave the pool. He also realized this, that he had to say goodbye to the first Adam. What do I mean by that? Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell, Eve, God came to her and said, why did you do that? It was his fault. The serpent put that Mike and Ike in front of me. It was so good. So he went to Adam, who was hiding. Adam, why did you do that? It was her fault. She said it was really good. And so from, from the fall in Genesis chapter 3, you know what we've done? Blame, 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 blame. What we receive from Adam is, is sin and frustration and death. We have learned how to make excuses and play the blame game and hide from God. He taught you and I how to refuse to take responsibility. And to that I say, thanks, Adam, thanks. But we find in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, that in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. And so there's this second Adam called Jesus Christ. In the second Adam, we have life, freedom, hope, and healing from these patterns of apathy. And some of you are just like the invalid and even refuse to change. And Jesus said, I came to give you life, abundant life. You are cured. You don't need another podcast. You don't need another book. You don't need another fight club. You don't need another chapter of training camp. Just get up and walk in what you already no. You see, we and I have been liberated from bondage. We've got to tell ourselves we're sons and daughters of the living God who split the Red Sea open, listen to it, and he drowned our fears, excuses, and hopelessness into it. Stop this nonsense of blaming your dad, your mother, your sister, your boss, your wife, your husband, your pastor, or whatever it is, and leave the pool of excuses. Pick up your mat and leave the old Adam and live like the new Adam, Jesus Christ. See, here's, here's the deal. The good news of Jesus Christ is that it's possible even in those areas of your life where habits and patterns go all the way back to Adam that lasting change can take place but you must want the change you know this must have amazed all the people sitting there because they watched this like how do you get healed without going in the water water wasn't stirred You mean it's not the water that's magic, hocus pocus? 
you mean we can leave the pool too and we can be healed too? It must have amazed him like, as they sat there like, he didn't go in the water. When they heard this man who was humble, look at him and said, sir, just pick up your mat and walk. And it says, he walked away. Oh man, this year, if you want healing, just believe that you've been healed in Jesus already. I'll close it up by showing this incredible picture. Look at verse 14. It says, later, Jesus <coughs> found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. It intrigues me that Jesus was on a hunt. He was searching for him. He was, he was trying to see if he was still walking in his healing. He was trying to see if he had returned to his apathy. And so Jesus finds him, the text says. And he looks at him and says, listen, stop sinning. Maybe because this first healing he got was a physical healing. And he knew that that was good, but now he needed a spiritual healing. He says, listen, if you don't take care of the sin issue in your life, you're going to go to a place that's a lot worse than that. It's called hell. But maybe, just maybe, he saw this pattern in his life where he had walked away for a little bit, but he was getting tugged back. Like, he liked going to the liar's table in New Paris. He loved it. And so he was being pulled back. And Jesus says, stop. Don't go back. I wonder how many of you are like this man. I wonder how many of you are living the life of a victim instead of a victor. If you want to be all in this year, you must change the way you think and run from your patterns of blame and excuses. Oh, please, God, please. I know what happens right now. Here's how it goes. If we want to stay by the poolside. Yeah, but you don't know how hard it was. You don't know my life. You don't know that I got to go in the workplace tomorrow and that boss might not ever change. You don't understand, Pastor Jim. And I say, yes, I don't, but Jesus does. Please, for the call of Christ on your life, Get rid of your excuses. Quit blaming others. Quit throwing out these incredible goals. Quit talking. Don't even say you're going to change if you're not willing to. Because that's a lie. I would love to see this year where you finally do what you know you need to do. Listen to me. It will be hard because it's hard to hope. And it's easy to sit by the poor side of misery. Lord, I'm grateful that somehow even in the midst of this message right now, we get a chance to witness people that are going public in their faith and are saying, I'm not going to sit by the poor side. I'm going in the pool. And I'm going to go public in my faith. And I'm taking that next step this year. And I no longer am going to sit and settle, but this is the year where I'm all in. And I want Grace Community Church in the world to know that I love Jesus. So Lord, we're grateful for this moment where we can rejoice for those who are taking the plunge into the water in victory. We love you, Jesus.
Amen.